Well, it's great to be in the auditorium uh, today. It's also great to be in Phoenix with uh, Dan and Reagan and our church there. We miss you guys so much. We need some Phoenix people back here, and we need to get some of us back over there. And wonderful to be with our Melbourne uh, location. We love you guys, Craig and Melissa, and Canberra as well. So please, in the auditorium, be seated. And uh, if you're at home right now, uh, just move this cereal box over from the table so you can see the screen really well. And it's wonderful to be in your home as well as to be in the house here. Mission Sunday, what a great report. Thank you, Mitch. So good to hear from Jamie Peters. I remember years ago being with him in Bujumbura, Burundi. It was a life-changing experience, I can tell you that. Second, Peter, uh, Second Timothy today, Paul's last epistle. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Paul is talking about his last moments now. Finally, the righteous judge is going to give me the crown of righteousness. But I love this next part. And not to me only. Not just to me, Paul says, but also to all who have loved his appearing. His appearing. The most wonderful thing that has ever happened is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus. And now, I mean like right now, he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing. All of those who love this appearing. He has made all of this available to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death. He illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. <laughs> when Jesus appeared, God's grace appeared. His grace appeared in a graceless in a godless world. When Jesus appeared, death got beat, the grave got broke, and the devil got bruised. Come on, that's worth an amen, somebody. I know in Phoenix that's worth an amen. When Jesus appeared, life got illuminated and light shined into the darkness. When Jesus appeared, immortality became reality. Oh, how I love his appearing. And to all who love his appearing, there is a crown of righteousness. In Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. But while you and I love and celebrate his appearing, the devil hates and disses his appearance. While you and I embrace his grace, the devil disparages and despises his grace. He wants to disappear Jesus and disgrace humanity. Now, I've been preaching a series these last several weeks called Mostly What the Devil Does is Dis You. He wants you dismissed, disqualified, disunified, dissatisfied, distant from God and distant from each other. But there is nothing he wants more on this earth than to diss the appearance of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The devil wants the grace of God to disappear, bringing condemnation to all people. The devil and evil people want Christ to disappear. And in John chapter 1 and verse 9, the word was in the world. And though God made the world through the word, though God made the world through him, yet the world did not recognize him. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, we see the device of the devil. We see the agenda of the enemy here in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded, blinded, blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. Blinded. Unable to see. Hidden. Concealed. Invisible. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants Jesus unseen the gospel unheard, the nations untold, and the lost unreached, and the church unconcerned. Malachi says that the son of righteousness has appeared with healing in his wings, but the prince of darkness disses his appearance and wants none to know. None to know in Australia. None to know in Africa or Asia. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, 
most importantly. I wonder what that means. You'd have to be a theologian to make that mean something else, wouldn't you? Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, what days? These days? Most importantly, I want to remind you that in these days, the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? What happened to the appearing of Christ for, from before the time of our ancestors? Everything's just remained the same since the world was first created. In the last days, in these days, mockers, scoffers, scorners with their godless and their progressive agendas will come and they will this his appearance. They will mock the Messiah and his message. They will despise his grace and his gospel. Make no doubt about it. This is the agenda that is in this evil world today. Governments and schools and institutions, how much they want to diss the appearance of the gospel and of the Christ and of the grace of God. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 2 through 5, and I love this in the Message Bible. Ooh. Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers and Messiah defiers. Ooh. I felt that. The God deniers and the Messiah defiers. Here's what, the, listen to their summit meeting. Listen to them as they gather together. Here's what they say. Let's get free of God. Let's cast loose from Messiah. And here's the response. Heaven throned God laughs. It's like the joke of the day. Every day. Why is God laughing at the agenda of the summit meeting of the leaders of the demagogues and the Democrats? I didn't say that. The demo, whatever. I almost said something. <laughs> Phoenix, forgive me. I almost said something. It wasn't in my notes. It just, reach your hand out and pray for me. Why, why is God laughing? Because every plan of man and every device of the devil will be brought to naught. The church. The church of Jesus Christ exists in the earth to know him and to make him known. We stand in the way of the devil's desire to make Jesus unseen and unknown. We are his body and his bride. We are his sons and his soldiers. We are salt and we are light. 
to the world. And in Matthew 5, 15, Jesus said, If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Well, there you are. And there I am. And there we are. We are the church of Jesus Christ, compelled, constrained, and commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are declaring to the nations, Jesus, we are declaring to the nations that Jesus did come, has come, and will come. The devil disses his appearance, wanting him to fade into irrelevancy and obscurity as we progressively move forward. But how? How can that happen? How can the agenda of the devil happen when Jesus has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel? How could that possibly happen? I want to show you exactly how it could happen. The devil makes Jesus disappear when he makes the church disobey. He not only wants to diss his appearance, he wants to diss our obedience. When we disobey Jesus, when we don't go, when we don't give, when we don't send, when we don't lift up our eyes and see a harvest of people, in John 4.35, as the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, Why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look. Look at the people. Lift up your eyes. Look at the people coming. Now is harvest time. It's harvest time in Melbourne. It's harvest time in Arizona. It's harvest time in Canberra. It's harvest time in Sydney. It's harvest time. Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time. If 2020 has done anything, it's, it's going to force more harvest, not less. He said this, for their hearts are like vast fields of ripening grain, ready for a spiritual harvest. Never in my lifetime have I seen the world more ready for a spiritual harvest. I love what the apostle Paul said in Acts 26, 19. And I pray it's my testimony. I pray it's your testimony. I pray it's our testimony. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You cannot let the devil diss your obedience to the great commission. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus told them, you are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news to everyone, everywhere. 
Disobedience is the devil's device to make Jesus disappear and to keep the gospel right here. How many souls are in the balance to your obedience? How many souls are in the balance to my obedience? As a totally committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, my passion is to pursue him, to know him, and to obey him, to obey him. Jesus said, if you, if, if you love me, like it's not a foregone conclusion, if, if you love, if you love me, this is what Jesus said, if you love me. And in John 21, 15, he says this to the rock, Peter, the, 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 the capstone of the church. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And then in verse 16, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And then in verse 17, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, Jonah's son. Jonah could be John. Simon Johnson. Sounds like maybe somebody in our church. Simon Johnson. Do you love me? And we read in John 14, 15, these words from Jesus. If you love me, show it by doing because that's what love does. Show it not by feeling, not by saying. Show it by doing what I have told you to do. Love does. Love does what Jesus told us to do. This is how Jesus showed his love. For his father. In John 8, 29. He who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone. For I always do. I do. I do. Because that's what love, love does. For I always do the things that please him. Love does. Not intends. Or anticipates. Or proposes. Or hopes to get around to. Love does. Love does not hesitate and procrastinate. In John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Can you see the love language of Jesus for his father? What is your love language? Let me tell you what Jesus' love language is. It's obedience. That's his love language. That's how he showed his love for the Father. And that's how he showed his love for you and me. And that's how we show our love for him. Through acts of service, acts of obedience. I love him. I love him. I love him by making his last command my first priority. 
I can tell him I love him because I feel deep waves of emotion about him. But that's maybe my love language. But when I love him by making his last command the number one priority of my life and my ministry, I'm loving him in his own love language. We can love him with our praise and with our worship, but his love language is obedience. I can bring Carol carnations and tulips, but her love language is yellow roses, the most expensive flower out there. What if I stand here with my hands raised, but my heart indifferent to a lost world? What if I move to tears in worship, but unmoved in making his last command my first priority? What if I'm willing to go to the great praise and worship conference, but not to the mission field? In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, Samuel said, what is more pleasing to the Lord? your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of lambs. How do I know I know him? How do I know I love him? 1 John chapter 2. Verse 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. He who says, oh, I know him. But does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Why are we a missions church? Why have we for the last 20 years given half of our income away every year to missions because and why do we have a mission Sunday once a month because this is our true north we're involved in a thousand things as a church we I can't even keep up with I don't even know I, I walk into the building sometimes and I look what's going on and I think well I'm only the pastor around here they'll let me know if I need to know and all of that, but every Mission Sunday, we come back to our true north and we recalibrate and we reconsider our finances and our heart and our passion and we consider why we are doing everything that we are doing. This is what Jesus told us to do. Yeah. Our motive for doing it is we love him. I didn't choose this. He chose this. And he chose me and I chose him. So that's why we do this. The only way the devil can make Jesus disappear is to make the church disobey. You and I are now the major players in the redemption of the earth. It's you and me. We're the major players. We're the major players as to whether or not the earth will be redeemed. What do I mean by that? Well, look, God's part is done. 
He gave his one and only son. Does not have another son to give. As a matter of fact, when he gave his one and only son, he bankrupt heaven for the redemption of man. He paid the ultimate. God has no more to pay. He has no more son to give. God's part in redeeming the world is done. And Christ's part is done. He died once for all. This is what the scriptures teach. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The part that is not done is the go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone everywhere part. That is our part. The whole redemption of the world no longer relies on God's part or Christ's part. It's our part. Now, of course, he's with us and goes in us and through us. But it's our part. The going, the giving, the sending, the telling, the weeping. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. That's God's part. But now the rest of the verse. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. That's our part. I would hate to call myself a New Testament church, being involved in everything we could think of, being as trendy and as cool and as relevant as we could think of, and not having a heart for nations of the world who have never heard the gospel. We cannot let the devil diss our obedience. Oh, but Lord, we built nice buildings. And Lord, we, we had a great school. Lord, we had a school. Lord, we did all. Lord, we, 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 yeah, but what I told you to do, what I, to, what I told you to do was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. We cannot let up or give up or shut up, even though the devil would surely like to diss his appearance. We cannot let that happen. We cannot let that happen. We cannot let up. We cannot give up. We cannot shut up. Until, like that African pastor said, until we've paid up, prayed up, stored up, and preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why the church is in the earth. The devil will not disappear Jesus on our watch. Amen, somebody. We imagine nations. We imagine compassion. We imagine fulfilling the great commission in our lifetime. We will not stop until the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 9 comes to pass. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We will not stop until that happens. We will not stop until the seventh angel in the book of Revelations shouts these words, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. Amen.